Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I I knew you were going to go there. I'm going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. By Hay Bale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how you doing? Hey, hey. Uh, this week we are we actually hosted somebody at the house for a couple of days. Yeah, we have another in studio guest. This is a rarity. I think uh, third ever. Yeah. Tom Landwehr. Uh, <laughs> David doesn't count. David doesn't count. David's wife counts though. David, yeah. David so, was here. So it's David's wife, the former DNR commissioner. Minnesota, and now Thomas Hope. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Hope. Uh, sounds like I'm in good company there. How you doing? Good. I just right. finished up a little chilly evening goose hunt, but uh, migrators are rolling, so can't complain about that. So you got just a little bit of a southern accent there. It's not real heavy, but you've been spending a lot of time in Minnesota. Hey, did you lose some of your Virginian accent, or is there just not much of that much of an accent there? I don't think I lost much. I don't think I had much to begin with. Um, I'm just not really it's weird like it you go an hour south of where i'm from and it gets there's a real southern draw down there but uh the area that i'm from no one really has much of a draw at all so i don't think i've lost much but i definitely hopefully i'll never have the full-on minnesota accent i don't uh i'd like to still have a little bit of a draw in there uh, even if I do spend some more time up here. I mean, after living basically with Corey Loeffler for a couple of years, I'm surprised you don't have a quasi Minnesota Canadian Virginian accent all rolled into one. That'd be a weird one. That'd be a really weird one. But uh, I'm probably getting there. I'm probably, you know, it's going to be such a slow transition that I'm not going to notice. But when I go back home for Christmas or something, everybody's going to be looking at me funny. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm probably getting there. So, uh, Hoke Outdoors on YouTube and you've been working uh, with Corey, DRC Call Company. Uh, do you got anything else you want to put out there that you do? No, that's basically that's it. it. I'm yeah, really happy. Just kind of splitting time between those two things. And uh, yeah, getting to work for DRC the last couple of years has been a dream come true. So it's been really fun and I uh, look forward to hopefully continuing it. You have a good following on YouTube. How long have you had your channel? Uh eight years now I guess I've had the channel I started it uh, the day before opening day the day before opening day of dove season in 2014 uh, and didn't really get into it until like my senior year of high school that's where I really started uh, filming videos I got a little bit better editing so I had some more time for that but uh, had it for eight years now which gosh that sounds like a this is a lot longer time than I feel like I've been uh, making videos for. It, and it just it doesn't get any better either. <laughs> what made you decide to do a YouTube channel? Uh, 
Well, back in, you know, right when I started it, I just bought a GoPro. I had a, I think I walked into Walmart or something. I had 150 bucks, 200 bucks burning a hole in my pocket. It was right after, you know, summer. I'd been mowing lawns, watering gardens, doing all sorts of stuff all summer. I had a little bit of money burning a hole in my pocket. It's like, yeah, I'll buy a GoPro. I'll start a YouTube channel. I'd seen, you know, the hunting, people were starting to post kind of hunting videos on YouTube up to that point. Um, it was pretty much all just kill shot montages, the, the loudest, heaviest rock music you could put on there cranked to 10 and then as many kill shots as you could put in there but i kind of wanted to make uh videos that encompass the whole hunt it wasn't just the kill shot i'd seen some people dabbling with that so uh, that was the reason that i really wanted to get into it and then uh, come my senior year of high school i got my driver's license and i I didn't really grow up waterfowl hunting. I grew up deer hunting. My dad's a big into deer hunting, uh, did a good bit of turkey hunting, but never really, he, you know, we'd go out for a couple goose hunts every year down at one of his fam, one of his friends places, but uh, not much duck hunting. So I got my driver's license and kind of, uh, had, went out, bought a kayak and hit the water as many times as I could that year and trying to, tried to film as much as I could and kind of been running from there ever since. So explain to our listeners and viewers here what what your channel is all about. What what will they see there? It's mainly waterfowl hunting. I try to branch out um, outside of it and you know sh do some fishing stuff, some other sort of hunting content. But waterfowl hunting is what I live for. I mean, I'd, I'd say I'm a waterfowl hunting addict. I mean, I during the months that you can waterfowl hunt is pretty much all that I think about. So uh, that's kind of, the, kind of the bread and butter. And I try and film a variety of different waterfowl hunting videos. I try and really do it all. I, I think that's one of my favorite things about waterfowl hunting is there's so many different birds you can hunt and there's so many different ways you can hunt them. So my goal is just to get out and hunt as many different birds in as, in as many different ways as I can and uh, show the whole process, you know, everything that goes into the hunt, the hunt itself, um, and then also try and show some cooking, you know, some what, what goes on after the hunt, cooking, cleaning, all that sort of stuff. You came down here with a kayak and I mean, we've definitely hunted out of boats and canoes and sneak boats, a lot of sneak boat stuff. I uh, haven't done a lot of the kayak stuff and, and the, the time of year that you decided to come down, everything pretty much <laughs> froze up except for, the, you know, kind of the major rivers or major waterways, but pretty much everything was pretty locked up. So when you said you're going to come down here and hunt out of a kayak, I mean, we all thought it was kind of cool and also kind of crazy. Yeah. I think I get a, I get a good bit of that and like honestly I'm still on the fence like I don't know if I don't know if I have a lot of confidence with the kayak and I don't well I know I have a lot of confidence with the kayak like I do a lot of crazy stuff with the kayak but I don't know if it's dumb or if I'm just <laughs> crazy enough that I get away with it like I've I on the first day I was down here I floated three miles of river all by myself in 15 degree weather and I mean I'd say that's pretty crazy like not something that your average guy is going to do but i i love the adventure of it getting on the kayak is the ultimate adventure to me and uh yeah every time i'm able to get out especially floating a river in a kayak there's something really special about it because especially if it's a new stretch of river you never know what's around the next turn the next turn is there's some suspense behind it and we were actually talking about pheasant we've been pheasant hunting this week and we were talking about the dog working with pheasant hunting and how much suspense there is there when you see the dog getting birdie and it's that same sort of feeling that's why i love it you know there's something magical about watching 20 30 mallards hover down over a decoy spread but there's also something really fun and interesting about floating a river in a kayak and i've kind of grown to love it 
as you were describing that, I was thinking about how I was going to compare that to pheasant hunting, and then you just did it. Like, <laughs> I mean, like we were both going down the same path. He's there, coming for your job. Yeah, <laughs> because and you're right. And I was thinking about that when you know when we field hunt or or hunt a water spread or whatever, we are sitting in one place basically, and you're, you're waiting for the birds to come to you. And one of the things I like about pheasant hunting so much is that you're you're moving constantly and you're seeing new places you're seeing new things you're seeing other wildlife you're not just sitting at the in the same surroundings constantly you're out there and i i like to tell people when i pheasant hunt i'm getting into places that i'd never i'd never go to without being mm. a pheasant hunter yep. and it's a and they're and they're places that 99 percent of the world's population will never step foot in and they're beautiful places they're, they're cool landscapes or you'll or you'll bump a deer like today i almost got run over by a deer like how many people can say that that they had a deer charging at them at about six feet before it decided it didn't want to run over me which i appreciated but you get you get to see things like that and you have that anticipatory the dog is birdie something's gonna happen is the bird gonna flush is it gonna flush in front of the dog is it gonna be behind you know you don't know where it's gonna come from and it is like that when you're coming around to bend especially on a river you've never been before i've uh, never been on before you don't know what is coming around that next bend and actually we we used to float rivers uh growing up when we would duck hunt there was a stretch of river that we would do that too and we'd we'd come up to a bend and maybe you'd hear a quack you know, or a whistle from a wood duck or something like that. And and you would just, you'd have no idea and you would just get real quiet and try to float that canoe and just get it to spin just a little bit when you're coming around the bend so you can sneak up on them. One time we came around the bend and there was a sow and three cubs there. And four, all of a sudden we came around the bend there were four <laughs> black bears right in front of us. Holy cow. It was kind of scary. <laughs> have you ever run into something, uh, been surprised like that coming around the corner on a, on a mm. river? I'd say the weirdest thing that comes to mind, and it was kind of sad. We uh, this September we actually came across a deer that I'm pretty sure had um, blue tongue EHD. EHD. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it let us float up five yards from it. It was right down by the water. Um, and from my understanding, that's kind of typical symptoms. They get that. They get a fever and they go straight to the water. And that deer is probably dead the next day. But um, it was kind of interesting to see a deer that would let you get five feet from it, but it, it was definitely, it wasn't in its right mind. So um, saw that, but no, I don't think I've ever seen a bear, seen a lot of eagles, um, a lot of ospreys on the rivers in Virginia, but uh, never a bear quite yet. So maybe have to go float and do some float hunts in Alaska and see if oh, there you go. <laughs> run into oh, a man. big old cool. brown bear. Well, That'd did be you, fun. Did you ever see that clip of... Uh, Oh gosh, who was it? I'm pretty sure it's um, what's his name. He was hunting either in the Yukon or Alaska, and they were in a boat and they were floating a river, and they got charged by a brown bear or a grizzly bear or whatever it was. And uh, I think that they they were with a guide, so maybe it was the Yukon, and the guide had a shoot. I don't think he shot the bear. I think he shot at the bear and mm -hmm. finally scared it off. But it came charging into the water. Um, oh gosh, that's gonna drive me crazy. But it's in the in I'm pretty sure it's in the intro of a show. We've had him on the show, Fred Eichler. It was Fred Eichler. Um, he was he uh, from Colorado. I think he was up hunting and he had he got charged by like in a boat, like a grizzly bear charging out into the river <laughs> in your boat. 
Man, yeah, I don't want to go. And in that saw with the three Cubs, we were really worried about it because, you know, she had the Cubs there. and Yeah, what did she end up doing? I, I scared her off. <laughs> I, and she, she knew it was me. No, I, I don't remember, but she turned and ran the other way, thankfully, and we didn't have to deal with it. But that float that you did here on your trip down here, you did see a couple of deer along the river, though. Yeah, yeah, I saw quite a few, actually. And uh, when I was launching my kayak, Tony was telling me, like, you might be pissing off some deer hunters by doing this. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of deer hunters down along the river. So I was kind of being very vigilant for that because I didn't have any orange on me. Obviously, I'm trying to sneak up on waterfowl. I'm not going to wear orange. But uh, I was just, you know, trying to keep my eyes up, eyes up and make sure that I wasn't going to, you know, hug a bank too tight where it might just be some movement that could look like a deer. How'd launching your kayak go? <laughs> Ooh, not so great yeah going back to that thing about confidence with the kayak i got way overconfident <laughs> we're talking like icy going down icy riprap and uh dragging my kayak down look back and it's barreling down the rocks probably like five six miles an hour and i tried to jump out of the way and uh did not get out of the way quite <laughs> landed smack on my gun uh luckily well i guess not luckily the rib was already bent a little bit now it's way bent uh but i shot a couple pheasants today so i guess it's not still you know, shoots straight yeah still or, shoots or straight. just uh corrects for you you not shooting straight maybe <laughs> yeah i guess that does make sense because i missed one on the first day right. and then i bent my rib and now i killed two on the last day so yeah no i definitely uh i love it me i guess yeah. Well, and you shot uh, you shot some geese too. With it, I'm assuming this afternoon. Yeah. I, I mean, I would think I hit w at least one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It was kind of a. It was that was a team effort. You know, they had. Th you got two guns. Three birds come in and do it perfectly. I don't think there's going to be too much bird claiming going on there. Yeah. Hopefully, unless you until know, it's banded. Yeah. Until it's <laughs> banded, right. and then we'd probably yeah. be pulling up the shot cam footage and watching me miss. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was, and it was great too, because you came down here and you did end up shooting one duck on that river float, if mm -hmm. I remember right. Yep. And then we pheasant hunted and you shot behind one or you shot the tail feathers off one. I can't, I feel like you took some feathers off that one. <sighs> I don't know. It was one Maybe. of those ones where like we, we went back and looked at the footage and I mean, typically you can follow the wad. If the wad yeah. is going, you know, right, right towards the bird um, and you're not, you know, and you're not too far behind or in front of it, you're going to hit the bird. I felt like the lead was perfect. The wad went straight toward in the line the bird was at, but it just flew through the pattern, basically. And then Matrix. Uh, yeah, I don't know, some weird sort of stuff. But, no, I didn't see any feathers come off that one, which is kind of thankful. You know, I always hate to knock feathers out of, out of one and not bring it down. So, Well, okay, so you didn't shoot pheasants on that first time, and then we went out and sat. Most of us sat pretty much all day during uh, uh we're finally getting geese to migrate and we sat out all day yeah i mean you you helped us pick up a spread helped us set a spread sat out there for most of the day never pulled a trigger never saw a goose and then uh, finally on the last day we go out and pheasant hunt shoot some birds and then go out and we i had to talk you into going out for the last hour yeah what? well i you know i got i got work to do i i love making youtube videos but at the same time you know i got calls to make got a bunch of orders coming in people want to get their calls before uh, christmas time so trying to get some calls shipped out but uh yeah i mean we were getting snapchats of hundreds of birds working the spreads that's kind of hard to say no to that <laughs> 
Yeah, so well, you mentioned Tony earlier. That's Tony Crotty from Immigration Outfitters. And Tony and Dan, you guys were out in the spread. What time did you guys go out there today? Well, Tony probably ran out there about one thirty. I was editing Prairie Sportsman, and that needs to get done. I'll get it done, Prairie Sportsman, I promise. But <laughs> I had to... It's migration I, I, day. Yeah, I started seeing birds fly over the house and the, over the office, and then Tony started Snapchatting us, all of us, and it's like, okay, uh, let's put a, put a sequence together, and I put on my camo as fast as I could, ran out there. <laughs> I don't know, maybe got out there about 2 o'clock and met you guys. As soon as you got there, we were all done, unfortunately, but luckily you guys were there so I could stay and film, which was a blast. Yeah. I love being able to do that. That was great, yeah. And we we got done pheasant hunting, and the whole time we pheasant hunted for what a couple hours, Tom, something like that. And we had Forrest Husset and also Andy Reeves with us, who uh, who the, the guys we did the uh, layout duck boat hunting with up at Lake of the Woods. They came down and hunted with us, so the four of us went out and I filmed, and you guys shot some birds. And the entire time, I you'll if if I, I don't know if I'll include this in the pheasant footage, but every so often I just put the camera up because there'd be another giant flock of geese flying over us. It was like constant, like heavy, heavy push today. And in the back of my brain, I'm like, man, there's a decoy spread just sitting there waiting for us. Uh, but we it was getting later in the day, and they, those guys had a bail, and then you were getting ready to leave, and. I was like, well, all right, we'll just relax a little bit, wrap things up, do a little podcast recording, and then you can head out. And then t- I opened up my phone, and you got you and Andy were talking about ducks and this and that, and I'm just like watching a hundred Snapchats from Tony about geese like bombing into the spread. We have so many Snapchats. We take <laughs> like, so many. I'm like, guys, we got to we got to go hunt. <laughs> Forrest, Andy, you guys are welcome to join us, but uh, if you're not, we got to go. And Thomas, you should go out there with us and you did and we we kind of hauled out there we met tony and dan on the road there they had just gotten done and they were leaving so we ran out there and we were kind of talking setting up and i remember saying as we were walking out to the blind like i i don't really see any geese flying we might have missed it it might be too late we definitely thought you guys were too late yeah definitely didn't think you were gonna pull the trigger none of you <laughs> so so we're down there and we're in a in an a-frame and i you know we're both kind of getting our guns out and calls and doing everything getting all set up and all of a sudden i hear and i'm like what is that noise like and i look up and dan's just barreling at the blind as fast as he can run a not sprint, very fast <laughs> sprinting at it through the snow and he comes ripping open the blind with this wild look on his face. I'm like, oh, are there birds coming or something? He's like, yeah, there's three right in front, and they're going to do it. And I look up, and it's just three birds just locked up, wing tricking and doing all this. And he couldn't have done it any better. No, I mean, absolutely could not have done it any better. I mean, just hovering over the over the decoys, basically, what they were doing. Or over the kill hole, actually. Perfect. And the wind, the wind had switched between when we set the decoy spread and today, hadn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that before you guys got out there, that that we had set that those decoys for an east wind. So oh, it, yeah. was, it was kind of awkward. And we definitely had a few birds before you guys get out there get a little weird over it. Because, you know, this time of year, birds get kind of weird about flying over decoys. And they had to fly over that big, especially their silhouettes, they had to fly over. And it was just one of those days that I guess it didn't matter mostly. But, yeah, it was set for an east wind, and we had obviously had a northwest wind today. And some just didn't care. Went yep. right over those decoys right into the hole. Well, I feel like they spun at least once, I think, on us and then came back around and Dan, like I was getting ready to film them and Dan's like, I'll film it. And I'm like, oh, heck yeah. So I, grabbed <laughs> well, my gun. I couldn't do anything else. Yeah, I wasn't just going to sit out. there. Yeah. So I load up my gun quick and uh, those three came in 
and there was one kind of separated on the left and I, I you know I know I shot at that one maybe you, you shot killed, you killed that one I didn't yeah. know if you shot at it too whatever and then the two were kind of kind of grouped up yep for yeah, me I, I tried to kill them both with one so shot. did I <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of waiting you know waiting for you to shoot and then I was like ah so I shot and we probably both shot whatever one falls and then uh I'm like uh oh and then I could it was like it was swinging too far to the right I couldn't shoot at it anymore so I'm like yep. kill kill that goose kill that goose and you took another shot and it kept flying away kept flying away and I'm like well we got we got the two of them whatever and then I think you said wait a minute or hang on or, yeah I could tell it was like it was just it, it was slowing up and it was gaining altitude like, at the same time yeah. and like I've seen it happen with ducks before not much with geese actually but ducks you know if you hit them in I, I think it's probably either a lung or a lip like a heart shot, shot or something yeah. Yeah. like shooting a deer yep and they just kind of start gaining altitude and then they kind of it's like they stall out mm -hmm. almost and they stall out completely and then they just fall dead so that was what he did exactly what he did I've seen pheasants do that a lot too I've seen pheasants fly like a half mile and do that exact thing fly up like hover for there for a second and then just they die and it yep. falls straight down and i yeah i walked up to it it was stone dead laying there but so we wiped out the three pack that's pretty cool yep and then we had one more come in and actually he might have that might have been what we were talking about with that wind kind of messed him up because he came it was a single that came back three times yeah. first two times comes in works the decoys like three or four circles peels out and then we hear the same single come back and kind of i think it was pretty sure it was a mid-sized bird it had yeah. a little bit of a higher pitch it had a little bit of a higher pitched honk and uh third time it comes back and proceeds to short stop us so yeah, yeah it yeah, landed if, if that group of silhouettes wasn't there again wrong thing it landed on the edge of the decoys like yep. it should have it did not i mean that was our fault we probably should have moved I mean, them, but yeah whatever i mean it's kind of it's always kind of fun to just watch geese in the decoys like that and yeah i i also have a theory and we talked about that that we might have shot that one's mate yeah the way it worked like it's honk honk would serve i think it twice it it bugged out on us and and then finally came back and landed and like it all the other geese that we had landed in the decoys tony had landed some decoys before i got there and was telling me every single goose he's did, really good at landing decoys <laughs> landed some geese and every single one of them or a lot of them i should say they'd land and then in that snow they'd lay down they take two steps lay down oh, yeah. and melt that snow to eat and this one never did that i was watching it for yep. it never did that it just stood there and and honked a little bit and so i'm guessing earlier one of us shot its mate or something because you'll see that a lot that they'll so they, they, they're they mate for life they'll try to come back and find them and rarely you're able to land those geese and this time we did but just one of those things and that that goose uh, will head south and figure out i mean i've killed a lot life. of geese that we should if it's a pair and you shoot the one and then you can always yeah. call always a lot of times you can call a lot of times they're back, tough but, too though yeah. like they, they'll circle a lot but a lot of times at least in my experience they won't commit like that and mm -hmm. like kind of like this one did twice mm -hmm. and then finally price got tired yeah and that that dang thing like it was just harassing us and i know we, we like we'd hammer on the calls at it and then we'd get real quiet and we'd get real high pitched and we get real low pitched and then the last time i just set my call down i'm like he and he would set up mm -hmm. he would set up and he was coming in so i was like well he obviously doesn't like what we're doing with the calls. So I'm just going to set the call down, see if he does it. And yeah, and then he landed on the outside of the spread. Yeah. <laughs> I picked up my squeaker tweaker and tried to rip on him. Actually, I thought I had him. I don't know if y'all saw that. Um, 
he was he was landing out at like I don't know like 100 120 I started ripping on that because we'd both been blowing I think deep honker calls I was blowing a life sentence I'm not sure exactly if what exactly what you were blowing but uh start ripping on that squeaker tweaker and he came an extra 60 yards but still just did not want to fly over those extra silhouette decoys yeah i actually called i changed and used my short drop so i changed it up from okay my core to the, to the short drop to try to give it a different sound and and uh you know sometimes you got to throw different things at them see what sticks and yep didn't matter I, obviously he'd been harassed like yeah. he was not happy about life and wanted to get in there for one reason but what well, didn't really want to get in there and that's all right you know either way we uh you're backwards there yep either way we uh we finished finished the hunt and finished the week on a good note yep. and you know it's nice when things come together and and you and i talked about this a little bit or maybe it was i guess it was me and andy talking about this we were talking about guide trips and the guys that book multi-day guide trips versus you know like a one or two day hunt like a three to five day hunt yeah it's more expensive but those guys tend to be a little bit more relaxed about things because they know not every hunt's gonna be a banger so like you coming down for a few extra days like this it's nice because it, it allows you to be able to have you know have the time to have a good hunt you know, if not everything aligns right away. Yep, exactly. And we were kind of talking about it during the hunt, like this time of year is just boom or bust. You know, it's late season, birds are really congregated. You're dealing with big pushes of birds and a lot of stale birds too. You know, a lot of birds that have been shot at and yeah. seen a lot of decoy spread. So uh, when you get into them, like Dan and Tony did today, it can be really good. But uh, when you're, when the weather's not in your favor, you don't have kind of that perfect setup. A lot of times it's just a grind to squeak out a few birds. Hoke Outdoors is the YouTube channel. What what are some of the crazier hunts that people can watch on there? Ooh, um, say probably the craziest one, or I, I'd say my favorite story behind a hunt is the one I actually have as my, set as my channel trailer. It's from last year down in North Carolina, and I had spent um basically the whole weekend hunting down there they their season's kind of weird they open up for an early season a two-day early season um like the last weekend in october and so i hunted the opening day of that season didn't do much and drove like two three hundred miles east um doing a ton of scouting and actually met up with these a couple local guys and uh I'll let the rest play out in the video, but it was really cool to meet up with a couple local guys. Just a completely happenstance, and we had a pretty incredible hunt. And then besides that, I mean, I got hit in the head once by a goose. That oh, uh, tell us that story. Yeah, I mean, because Dan had one that landed almost in the blind today. I should have caught it. Yeah, it just yeah, I suck at my job today. I'm sorry <laughs> for whoever's watching this on YouTube because either I have a lot of editing to do or it's rough. Oh boy, jeez. Well, you uh, you almost could have caught it. Probably would have hurt because that's why I didn't mm -hmm. catch it. Yeah, because didn't you get knocked right out? Yeah, I mean, it, I, uh, <laughs> sorry for it knocked me out. Completely. I, <laughs> we had we had a I want to say it was like a five six seven pack of honkers coming over and it was just a pass shot like 30 35 yards i stand up crumple the one on the right side of the flock i'm standing in the right side of the blind crumple the rightmost one switch over double up hit another one the second most or the no um the one that's now on the rightmost side of the flock so i doubled up and as i'm going for the triple um i just get absolutely clobbered and <laughs> 
I was out for, I mean, I was out for like five, 10 seconds and wake up. And the funniest thing about it actually is that the guys and the guy, the other two guys I was with did not realize what happened. They turned around and I'm laying on the ground. And they're oh my like, gosh. I'm laying watching on the here. ground. What's going on? And I'm like, I just got hit by that goose. Like, I have a concussion right now. And they're like, oh my God, it did hit him. And the goose is laying there beside me. Um, I will say the one part about the one part about that that I really missed out on is I had a GoPro facing back towards us and it died like oh, no. five minutes before that. And that would have been the funniest angle because it would have been the impact. Um, and I mean, oh, it just absolutely clocked me. I, I don't think I, I mean, I probably had like a, I don't know if I had a concussion or not. Like I didn't really have concussion symptoms. I've had them before, but I had a headache for the rest of that hunt, but it was a really, really good hunt and I couldn't, couldn't back out on it at that point. So Go to, go to well either go to your YouTube channel or I just played it here on the show. Then I I apologize for laughing because that, <laughs> that, that's no, kind of funny. funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like and people always ask me if it hurts, if it hurt, and I'm like, this is like a ten to twelve pound goose, <laughs> yeah, and it's falling from thirty yards up with momentum already. I mean, imagine someone taking a bowling ball bowling ball is 10 to 12 pounds and just chucking it off the top of a three-story building and it landing on your head right that's gonna hurt well i've seen them we had one one hunt where actually i watched a goose land on a layout blind and the guy was in the layout and he it all said it was coming at him so he bailed like he literally <laughs> rolled out of the layout blind because he, he got freaked out i don't blame him because that goose then hit the right side of the layout blind and flipped it over what? like picked it up and flipped it right over <laughs> and then another one might have been the same flock i can't remember but another one landed on the dog blind and bent the frame of the dog blind yeah and those were not 35 yards up either so th these are big heavies but yeah those things will do some damage absolutely yeah and i mean it's just dead weight too so i mean it's it's gonna hit where it's gonna hit and um, a lot of times, you know, actually I got lucky that day because we shot seven geese that day. Five of them had broken wings, like bad broken wings. And luckily the one that I shot mm. was one of the two that did not have a broken wing. So like could have at very oh, got stabbed. Yeah. Stab, put an eye out, you know, worst things, worst comes to worst catches you in the neck. And next thing you know, you're bleeding out on a duck. Hunt, Gosh, so. you know, you know, what's going to happen is somebody in Minnesota is going to hear this interview now and Minnesota is going to put in some sort of regulation <laughs> that we have to wear helmets and mouth guards. <laughs> When we and in pro, pro, concussion protocols, if you, if you're if you get hit in the head, you have to get out of the blind. That's what I was or, gonna say. There's gonna be somebody who has to watch every hunt and then a play later, or a volley yeah, later, the no, volley you later, go, you can come back in, go into concussion protocol. But that's why we need to vote. That's right. That's right. I vote for no helmets in the goose blind. Yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm watching. I was watching this, and you're giving like the recap after. You definitely looked very dazed. Oh, like, I was seeing stars. <laughs> yeah, like, just, like, but I don't know what you're saying, but I've been doing it for like long enough. Like I've been making videos for like a year or two. Like it was just kind of I was conditioned to that point where I was like, well, that just happened. But yeah, let's point a camera at myself and try and talk to it. So yeah, I, I, I got two words for you. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Made in America. <laughs> Goose hunting hurts. <laughs> That's and that clip was made in America. That's awesome. Well, what I mean, do you do a lot of traveling for the channel, and are, are, do you got some other some trips planned or places you want to go and film? Um, yeah, I mean, I do a good bit of tra traveling. I wouldn't. I mean, I'd say it's. Oh, I'm looking for the right word here. 
it's facilitated by the channel. Like I'm definitely mm. able to do it because I make these videos and they do give me some sort of revenue, but I love traveling to hunt. Like it's probably one of my favorite things to do is just exploring new places. So even if I wasn't filming videos, I think I'd be traveling just as much. Um, but this year, you know, I got out to North Dakota for the first time ever on a duck hunting duck hunting trip, and that was absolutely incredible. Just the number of ducks out there um, blew me away like nothing I've ever seen before. And I kind of have had a taste of that. I'd got out there for the August goose season before, so that was like way up at the top of my list. You know, seeing all those breeding birds out there, it's like I gotta get out there during the regular duck season. So I was really glad I got to do that, but. Besides that, I kind of, I really want to explore the Pacific Northwest more. I got to hunt Idaho last season for a few days and had an absolute blast with that. And it's just a really cool part of the country that it's, and the thing I like about it is it reminds me a lot of the hunting in Virginia. Like it's a lot of it's kind of coastal stuff, marshes, swamps, a lot of the same habitats we see in Virginia, but it's completely different birds. The birds act differently. They have different limits. They, you know, have different species compositions. They have a ton more widget out there. We don't have many of those on the East coast. So I really like, um, that it's similar habitats, uh, but people shoot a lot of different birds and they hunt them a lot differently as well. You, you've spent some time now in the central Mississippi flyways after being so you're the Atlantic flyway over there mm -hmm. how different are these flyways as someone that's hunted across uh, a bunch of them it's it's hard to describe I mean honestly it's like being in a different world like if you took hunting at least in the hunting I've done in Virginia North Carolina those are the only two east case east coast states i've hunted so i haven't hunted the the whole of the atlantic flyway um, and i feel like it's kind of hard to compare you know being way up at the northern end of the central flyway and being kind of the middle part of the atlantic flyway but they it's like being in a different world for sure like the just the bird numbers the way the birds act um the hunting pressure it's um, i i find it much more enjoyable to hunt out here I, I still enjoy hunting back home in virginia i enjoy kind of some of the nostalgia of hunting a swamp for wood ducks but you know kind of the quintessential virginia duck hunt is a 15 minute wood duck hunt in a swamp and after those 15 minutes you might as well head home because the odds of seeing a mallard or a teal or anything else are slim to none so um yeah it's just i think it's just the fact that so many more birds are produced directly north of these flyways and because of that they funnel down here versus the east coast is so heavily developed that what used to be the breeding habitat there is uh severely depleted and at this point we rely on those migrators that have to migrate all the way across the country mind you like uh, people like to talk a lot about how the canvasbacks don't make it to the chesapeake bay anymore well they have to migrate all the way past the great lakes which hardly freeze anymore um so yeah I, it's more of a lateral migration isn't it yeah exactly yep they yep i they yeah they go through the great lakes um and they focus in on a couple of the lakes in that area in particular and if those couple lakes don't freeze then you're not going to see a big push so um see having to rely on those birds that are migrating a thousand two thousand miles and a lot of those birds are ice dependent um has really made hunting tough the last few years when we haven't had a real winter yeah, I honestly, I don't know anything about East Coast waterfowl for that, for that matter. And, but I've, but I've learned that there are some, some birds that will travel more. They'll come down and then go almost straight East to go out to the coast out there, which is just a weird migration pattern to me. But also 
here in Minnesota in particular, but people complain about confusing regulations at times. Some some people don't like the splits. I'm in favor of the split. Um, <laughs> Not people, this year. This year, yeah. This year is a little a bit of a weird year, but... Um, Did the big push come during the split this year? It came right, literally right now. Well, this was okay. just now. This was the, okay, yeah. I gotcha. So we, I mean, we're, the dates are pretty much right on this year. Our split was a good time this I, year. I still we, like the split. I'm not going to trash yeah. the split, but we, we're fearing that our season's done a little earlier than, than the season date says. And that's just yeah, mother we, nature. But. We've normally pushed for a later duck season because we want to shoot late season mallards mm-hmm. this year that we may not have that. Yeah, might but, bite us in the butt. Oh, well. But, you know, you and I were talking this week a little bit about some of the some of the weird rules and regulations as you have out on the East Coast. And I'm wondering to you, for someone that's hunted there and someone that's hunted here, Mississippi Central, Atlantic, what do you think has more? Who do you think has more confusing regulations? Because I, th- I feel like it's that way everywhere. Like you've, you're going to have some special regs to protect some some populations of birds and some species that might have lower numbers right now. And it's just up to hunters to kind of know what's going on and sure it can get confusing and frustrating at times, but you're going to have that everywhere, I think. Yeah, I'd say, I think the East Coast has more confusing regulations. Um, in that you know some of the regulations the blind law one in particular which basically people can license blinds and renew them every year and you can't hunt within 500 yards of a licensed blind so virginia has thousands of miles of public water rivers and creeks and such um, and you can't hunt a lot of that because there's licensed blinds along all of it um I would say I think Minnesota's regulations are a lot more frustrating and it goes back to like the one of the first things I think Corey ever told me when I came up here is if you're having fun in Minnesota you're probably breaking the law. I cannot <laughs> tell you how true I found that That's, to be. Sounds like Corey. Like I mean it's just just the regulations are just fr- like it's not that they're hard to interpret they're easy to interpret it's just like what is the reasoning behind this i don't understand why a lot of regulations in minnesota are the way they are like for instance the open water regulation you can only lay out boat hunt on three lakes in minnesota why is that that doesn't make any sense to me like why can't it be all lakes what are they trying to protect there is my question so um well and that kind of came up when we were talking to adam today like he's talking about having to do specific things with his layout boat on specific lakes versus out on uh, the lake that they hunt they can actually hunt a layout boat like it's supposed to be hunted out in the middle of open water well that actually came up uh, and the public actually had the chance to voice their opinion on that uh, last year was it i think last year in the survey came out and there wasn't enough support for it like the hunters had a chance to say whether they liked it or not Hmm. and it's surprising because a lot of us were kind of for it at least opening up some more bodies of water for it um because right now it even it's frustrating even if you just want to straight up hunt out of a, a boat duck boat sometimes it's hard to get enough concealment in natural vegetation to be completely legal. So uh, trying to trying to change that a little bit was something that's been brought up and the DNR offered it up and said, hey, you know, hunters, how do you feel about this? And there wasn't enough support for it. I think oh. it's a it's a to protect the sloughs kind of thing. Like I'd be for opening up to more lakes, but not everywhere. Like take a lot of our little sloughs we have around here in western Minnesota. And you get some Joe Schmo who thinks it's going to be a good idea to set up in the middle of this slough while somebody's trying to hunt the edge. Like if it's a big slough and there's potential to have two groups for it, I'm not a fan. Like I don't like hunting with two groups, but 
if that's a possibility, you don't want some guy just setting up in the middle of it. Or, or take it from this example, on a fishing lake in September, yeah. you're going to get 12 guys that are going to load up on a pontoon on Gull Lake and Brainerd. Guys are going to be trying to jet ski in this. It, it's a weird deal here. And that, like, that could just... It could get weird because I think a lot of birds, especially local birds, are so used to boats and stuff, they'd be very susceptible to it. I don't know. It's a strange thing, and I have mixed feelings about it, but I would like to see like a leech lake or a winnie have it. Like right now, layout boat hunting on leech would be a blast. So what is it? It's uh, Mille Lacs, it's Nor- a Lake of the Woods, it's Pepin, and Superior. Lake Superior, yeah. And the Mississippi. I think the parts of the Mississippi can do it too. Yeah, I think there's still... A- that's still weird. It's not like it's a free-for-all. I think there's still a weird right Yeah, I think it's that. like yeah, south of Hastings or something. Yeah, yeah. read up on that. Don't quote us on yeah, that one. But. But I, and I think part of it, too, is to Minnesota is such a water hunt state, yeah. like particularly the old um, tradition of hunting divers and hunting bluebills in Minnesota. So many people in Minnesota, as compared to other places, except maybe out on the coast, you know, the sea duck guys or whatever, are water hunters. Like you go to North Dakota and if, <laughs> and if the locals see you with a blue plate and a boat behind you in the fall, they're not going to talk to you and they're not going to let you on their land and they're not going to be happy about it. So Minnesota is a water hunting state just because we're the land of 10,000 lakes and it's all public water. So I think part of that open water law is about protecting the ducks and protecting the places to hunt, but also not busting roosts, like not pressuring those ducks out in the middle of the lake and make you go hunt them in places, you know, and try to bring them to you versus going out to them. Or even for fall anglers. Like, well, I think there's people, something to that. People yeah. already get frustrated enough with fishermen coming through decoys on shore in the fall, like yeah. especially September, October. October and I'll take if a guy can set up on a because this is what we learned in Lake of the Woods. I wanted a walleye fish because we were on a spot that the ducks were <laughs> feeding. The layout boats. And I guarantee you there are walleyes beneath it. <laughs> so now you get a lake that's smaller than Lake of the Woods and you get these walleye guys or musky guys, whatever, want to go fish and there's a guy trying to duck hunt and some people get stubborn. There can be a safety well, issue. There's a safety issue for sure. Just a there's going to be some conflicts and. and each to their own they you know everybody has the right to that lake and so it's i don't know it's it's a interesting deal maybe you put like a you can start after october 15th or october 31st yeah you'd have to probably like do that. something like that and it'd yeah. be it'd be such a change too that you know how people are when a regular right. regulation gets changed a lot of people don't realize it for about 10 years mm-hmm. and continue to you know maybe break that law or whatever but or it'd gonna, be another confusion well there'd be a confusion there and and you'll have people all of a sudden wondering why somebody's out in the middle of the lake banging away at Yep. you know they're divers but yep. i i wouldn't mind seeing them i mean i had a lot of fun up at lake of the woods oh, doing that layout boat deal and you know if you opened it up to some more lakes i think that'd be kind of neat but it's always something i will say this about the minnesota dnr in the waterfall regs the last few years is i feel like they understood some frustration was coming from their hunters and they definitely tried to listen and i think that's why going to three zones northern central and southern zone i thought was a great idea the splits i thought were a great idea not everybody agreed um that's why the southern split essentially became the same as a central instead of what they originally did which i don't know how i don't know how i feel about that i thought it was a good idea to extend the southern zone uh extend their season a little bit longer but a lot of guys in Minnesota too like to hunt teal in early early October and September, and uh, and guys like us like to hunt late season mallards. But not everybody has the opportunity to hunt fields, so it's hard to make everybody happy. 
Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, we saw the same thing in North Carolina last year. North Carolina implemented splits for the first time last year and or implemented zones for the first time last year. They have two zones and we have a 60 day season, just like y'all, um, 60 day season on the East Coast and 56 of the days ran consecutively between the two zones. So it's like, what's the point of having two zones if you're going to have four days that are different between the two of mm-hmm. them? Um so that was kind of frustrating but i think stuff like that as long as the departments um that manage you know that set the regulations are willing to listen i think stuff like that will change i feel like they have been um at least the last couple of years so moving forward we'll see how things go uh and it's gonna be so hard i know dan we've pushed for later seasons so much and this year just Mother Nature had different plans for us. Yeah, and that's that's the battle, but what do you do? Was this a abnormally early freeze up or have the past like five to ten years been so abnormally warm that it's kind of skewed it? Like I guess this is more more of a question for Brett. Well, I remember a few years back I was guiding and I was taking a bunch of clients out on November 7th and I drove around the lake and saw I could see the moon reflecting on the ice on the lake and the entire lake was frozen on November 7th. And it was just like this year. We had a long forecast, extended forecast of cold temps and that was the end of it. We did we did shoot, you know, there's a little hole left open with some geese and we did shoot, I think we shot a speck that day. And we shot a banded goose and a speck. Wow. And then we went and kicked open a hole to try to shoot ducks and shot one gadwall. And that was that was pretty much the end, of our, the end of our season that year. So, but I know there's been a handful of years in between then and now that we've been hunting geese in a field and been bombed by swarms of mallards that we can't shoot. After Christmas. Yeah. You know, that's... This is early, and but that's where our frustration is. It's like, especially a lot of these years, we won't see the mallards here, and then it closes and they show up. And and I know we're also, we're along a river. We're also in the yes. minority of that. And so that's something we have to take into consideration. And we have, we have like, access to good fields. And that, but even just being along a river, is that's we the key thing. Water. We have water. You mm-hmm. need the water. And in an area like, well, Rochester has open water, but... Yeah, power plants and rivers. Yeah, you know, but but you get a spot like I'm just spitballing here, like Worthington. They don't have any, so it's like two hours south of us, and they don't have any any place that would keep water open. I get that I know of at least I've never hunted down there. But bottom line, you need the open yeah. water. We have it. We're lucky enough to have that, and that's why we push for it. I know there's pushback for guys that don't get that, but it's that's why it's hard. This state is next to impossible to manage and make so, everybody happy. So my answer has always been either do the early teal season at the end of September and then push back the regular season so that guys get to shoot their teal. We get to open up a little bit later. Uh, we added the early teal, but they put it right at the beginning of September. In only five days. Only five days, and then opened up the regular season at the same time. Yeah. So nothing really changed with that. Just an extra five days to hunt, which is great. Which is fine. I, well, I think any extra hunting opportunities can Yeah, cool. but it's I like 80 degrees, and half the time you can't ID teal. But it's a time to hunt. You shoot, yeah, whatever. We're it. out there shooting geese anyway at that time. So, But uh, that's just another one of those things. It's, Not everybody goose hunts. It's five days during the early goose shit. season. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll be out there hunting geese anyway. And if a teal swims into the decoys, we'll shoot it. Like that's yeah. to me the early teal season. Hmm. 
so my other op, uh, answer was to try to get the old flyway council together and say give hmm. the give the mississippi flyway some extra days and then everybody's happy the problem is is then arkansas gets to stay open an extra 10 days and the guys down south get to stay open an extra 10 days which their ducks are around a lot longer than they are than they move through when they move through here they're weather dependent when they're down there they're down there till it till it closes so uh that's been the pushback on just giving us more days in the mississippi flyway but i don't know i mean we're so close to the central flyway here i don't know why they can have whatever they have 72 or 70 or whatever it is plus a high plains unit for mallards in january or uh, whatever they got over there but it'd be nice to have uh some river zones or something in minnesota where if we got the best duck to me the the fatty mallards late season plumed up fatty mallards late november if we got a place to shoot them it would be nice to be able to shoot them yeah it's hard to definitely hard to be watching them coming to the decoy spread and when you can't shoot them and yeah that's something that i haven't had to deal with much you know being from virginia we typically get to run till january 31st so you know just a couple times we've had it during late goose season which runs till february 15th we'll see them in the spread but i can't imagine having big swarms of mallards dropping into the goose spread like that would be well aggravating to say torture and this year i think i've shot two mallards this year like mm-hmm. the entire like our duck season's almost over and I've shot two I've shot more green wing teal than I've ever shot in my life. I feel like we were stacked with green wings for like a month around here which isn't normal. But I haven't shot a widgeon. Uh I haven't shot a gadwall. I know you guys shot some pintails. And we've shot pintails. I think we shot all three of them. But not many. No, like what one widgeon or something One widgeon, it? yeah, which is abnormal. More pintails than normal. It's, it's been a weird year just in our flyway. I mean, well, things have been different. Well, we're real area. dry, to be fair. Yeah. We're real dry, so we don't have as much water as we've had in recent years. It, and that's actually something. Obviously, it's been cold. I'm not going to say this is why we froze up early, but shallow water freezes faster yeah. so there's something to that too but it's been so cold that's not a valid argument well but. and the mallards just pretty much got here yeah. within the last couple of days and it's going to be over for us so yeah. i guess it's i'm just frustrated because i'd like to be shooting some more mallards and i'd rather be shooting mallards and green wing teal which i like shooting teal but i'd rather be shooting mallards anyway we Rant go on over. And on. we can go on and on about <laughs> we, this we've had a lot of podcasts where we have the same discussion well i'm hoping something changes a shell costs what a shell costs and you get about double the meat off a mallet right and you do a green wing so yep. i mean it's double the bang for your for your buck i'd say so i mean I, I can completely understand the argument i will say honestly i think a teal tastes better than a mallard but maybe not oh. up here. I need more time up here because y'all do get like the extremely fatty the mallards. mallards late in the yeah. season. And it's really hard to beat those. But like in Virginia, where a lot of our ducks aren't incredibly fatty, I'll take a, I'll take a teal over um, a mallard any day. And I actually we ate a lot of teal and we ate some really delicious teal. And I like eating teal, too. But it, it's funny how my my progression in the waterfowl not even in the industry, but just as a waterfowl hunter from going to want to shoot limits to going to want to shoot, you know, a mixed bag and shoot ducks I've never shot before. And now literally, I, I mean, yeah, I like going out there and shooting them and watching them work and all that, but I'm getting food. Like I eat these things and I eat them all the time. And I, you know, the whole thing about not shooting hen mallards, I get it to try to help the population, all that stuff, but I don't want to shoot a hen mallard because they're smaller than the drakes. <laughs> Like literally the size of the breast is smaller and I'm there to, I like, I just love a fatty mallard, Drake mallard. So let me just clear this up here. 
this isn't going to be aired on the radio, but you like large breasts? <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> well, yes. Ooh, that was yeah. That was just kind of well, yes. A chip shot there. <laughs> I love large breasts on my male ducks. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Hold I just on, made on, it even on, weirder. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it is twenty twenty two. He likes <laughs> large breasts on males. Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. I just heard. Hey. I edit this show, so that's exactly what's going out. That will go on the radio. I mean, that's the promo. Those Drake Mallards can identify as hem mallards all they want. I don't care. I'm still shooting them because they're bigger. Their <laughs> breasts are bigger. All right. Uh, nice. Thomas Hoke, Hoke Outdoors on YouTube. Where else can we find you online? I do a uh, little bit of Instagram, stuff on Instagram, and then I have a Facebook page. I don't really mess with it much anymore. So Instagram would be the main other place, and that's just Hoke Outdoors as well. I know. You, gosh, you did some filming with Corey. We didn't even get into Corey Loeffler's stories. Yeah. I, but tell, tell me one Corey Loeffler story from filming with him this fall up there. Um, Before we go. Well, he showed me something I'd never seen before. He took a duck. We the were, waterproofing? Yes. Isn't the that waterproofing. wild? That is wild. Yeah, yeah. Took a duck, plucked it, and he's messing around on his back. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, I've, I've, I've known that ducks have a gland back there, but I've never seen anybody mess with it. I mean, typically all your focus is on the other side of the duck, you know, where you get your food. But, uh, yeah, he's squeezing around back there. And I pull up the camera, and he's like, well, you're going to see some waterproof in here and, you know, squeezes some oil out of there and then he's rubbing it all on his gloves and sure enough, you know, dips them in the water and they're waterproof. So that was pretty wild to see. Um, he's, but he's just like, he's the qu quintessential person for doing stuff like that. Like every yeah, time you think you know Corey. what Corey's going to do, like he's going to throw you another curveball. So <laughs> um, that's the really fun part of hunting with them. Or one of the really far fun parts of hunting with them and hanging out with them. Yeah. Uh, good dude. Smart dude. Fun to be around. Good family up there. And I know you're close uh, living with the with his family up there, too, at DRC. And uh, it's a good time up there. Yeah. So. yeah I'm extremely thankful for uh, the opportunity that he's given me and just uh, how accepting his family has been of, you know, allowing me to basically live with them. You know, I eat dinner with them every night. I yeah. I, uh, How many times has Kelsey been described as a saint by everybody that knows Corey? Oh, by the man. Way. Like, yeah. <laughs> Just so nice. I mean, yeah, yeah. She, I'd say that word describes her perfectly. And some fresh pups up there. Uh, Corey uh, Rue and Sean Stahl's uh, Carl. Yep. Yep. So got eight cool. little black labs and oh my God. Gosh, they are growing so quickly. Like I've never been around puppies before and I'm actually really excited. I'm driving back up there tonight. I'm probably the thing I'm most excited for is to see how big those puppies are, have gotten in three or four days. Cause they are growing like, like a, like weeds basically. Yeah. Like, I mean, just incredible how quickly, um, and Rue has been doing a great job just feeding them nonstop. So they're getting that big old milk diet and, uh, they're, I think they'll be ready to, you know, be going home to some forever families here before too long. Well, man, it was fun having you down here. Let's do it again. Uh, have a safe uh, safe drive back up to, to Thief River Falls and DRC's uh, home base up there. And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Brett. Or Brett. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. And it was a pleasure meeting you as well, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming down. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store 
for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx.